Today we're going to talk about something that I think you need to really have in your view and in your focus. How many of you followed the news in the past two days? All right. Church, I, I think we need to wake up and we need to realize that this idea of Jesus coming is, is, is not a theory. It's not a future thing. It is a reality and could be very well a reality right now. You see things happening in Israel and things going on and Christians getting attacked. Um, I shared on my Monday night class, um, you know, a, a man was arrested in Switzerland, sentenced to prison because he stood against an ideology of sexuality. You know, we look at this and matter of fact, the, the people in Switzerland have said that America needs to take note this is coming. Read an article the other day about a lady who moved here thinking that there was going to be freedom only to find that the community she moved into is very much angry at the fact that she has faith and belief and wants to make it public. You know, I know we say this and people get immune to it. I, I know that we're in a day and time in Christianity where people would rather be entertained and made to feel good rather than to know the truth of the word of God. People would rather argue about who's the best Christian and best believer. I feel like we stand like the, like the disciples sometime on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Jesus for who he is and knowing that he's good. And the next question is, hey, let's set up a temple for me. Like, can, can we rule and reign with you? Let's not go back down. Let's stay here. Just the three of us, Jesus and you and nobody else. And we get in these mindsets of who is the best and who deserves the most and, and, and what church is the best and what can offer the most. And, and I'm telling you now, we need to come back to a faith. We need to come back to a realization. We need to come back to reality of the fact that Jesus is coming back and the things that we are living for right now are really worthless when it comes to the things that we should be living for, right? If I examine my own life, I get caught up and hung up on things that do not matter, any me too's in the place. I let them dictate my happiness and my joy, and I, I fail to realize that the things that I do should be for the Lord and not for my life, my family, and this. It should be for we're going to heaven one day, and I am going to pack. I'm getting packed. I'm laying up treasures there so that when we take that trip to eternity, we have our suitcases ready. Does that make sense that we have everything intact, that we're not living to, to please ourselves, but we're living to please the Lord? So I was looking in the book of Titus, and Titus is a three-chapter uh, book. I mean, it's very small. In, in chapter number one, you see where God's laying down that this is what you should be if you're an elder, and this is what your capabilities should be. And as ladies, this is what you should do. In chapter number two, he goes into, hey, old men live like this. Young men live like this. Older ladies live like this. Younger ladies live like this. This is how we should live. Hey, people that are employed, it uses the word slaves in the Bible, but these were employed people. So people that are employed live like this because Jesus is coming back. I'm going to take you down to verse number 12 and trust that you'll go back and read this entire chapter because I believe that there's a lot to be said in it. We're living in a day and time where the world really wants to reshape family units, reshape church things, reshape what everybody believes about God. And the only reason you would try to reshape those things is to take control. And so understand this, God wants control of your life, gave his life through his son for your life and, and wants to take control to give you freedom. Everything else around you wants to take control to steal your freedom. And you need to keep that in mind. That God is the only person that you'll ever encounter that wants to control your life to better it. Everybody else wants to control your life to better theirs. And so understand that you gotta get to this mindset that God operates and functions different than what we see in the world. And I believe that as we grow closer to the end time, as we grow closer to, to God returning, that there needs to be a shift in the atmosphere of the way that we live as believers, okay? And so we're going to grab verses 12 through 14 and grab a few points that you can put into your business practices, that you can put into your lifestyle, that you can put into your home and individual walk that, that God says, live like this. I mean, it's simple. I mean, this is a literal blueprint that God has laid in the word of God that is not a deep thinking blueprint. It is simple application. How many of you would admit with me, and I don't want you to raise your hand because I don't want to shame anybody. I'm probably not the most academically smart person in the room. You know, I, I, I am not the, the genius in the room. And I, I totally understand that. Like sometimes it's very intimidating to speak in the room because I know how smart some of you are and how genius some of you are. And to be able to be the one that's pouring into your life seems a little bit out of order, right? You ever felt like that? And, and so as I look around there, I know this, but this is one of those that, how many of you are like me and you can raise your hand on this. I don't want you to play a game with me. I want you to make it clear. Anybody like that? Don't give me a signal. 
You know, I would like it if my coach, when I left the dugout, would lean in my ear and say, I want you to bunt, rather than me having to stay down the third base line and look at a lot of codes and not know which code means what. And, 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 and next thing you know, it's like I'm forgetting this and I'm swinging when I should be bunting. I'm taking when I should be swinging. And they're yelling at me at the end. I'd rather somebody walk over first base coach and lean in my ear and say, you're going to steal on this pitch rather than look across the field and be like, what is he doing? You know, like, is he fixing his belt? I thought the belt was still, but it looks like he's pulling his pants up. I don't know what to do. Make it simple. You know, like if you need something from me, come say, I need this. Anybody say me too. Yeah. Don't be like, well, I dropped hints. All right. I don't live in hints. Any other guys in the room here saying you are terrible at reading between the lines, right? Hey, good, good news. Titus does not have between the lines reading. Titus, the book of James, those are two easy books that you can grab that it's not like get this and figure this out. It is, this is it. And so in Titus chapter number two, verse number 12, he starts outlining some things and says, this is it. Matter of fact, let's back up to verse number 11. It says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And for that, we should say, thank you, Jesus, that we didn't have to bring a goat or a lamb or a bull or some type of sacrifice to church today, that we brought Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit because it's already been done for us. Anybody say this? Aren't you glad you're going to heaven? Not because of the work you can do, but because of the work that Jesus did. Anybody? excited about that like so as we step into this we realize it's here we have it so understand he starts this list of things we should do with the fact of you don't have to go figure this out you can do this because it's already been done for you Christ has already not only died for you but set an example of how we can live he lived out a faith that we can have he walked out with God a walk that we can take and so here it is he comes out swinging ready look at verse number 12 and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures number one as we get closer to the end as we are pursuing Christ in our walk the one thing that cannot be it's a non-negotiable of faith is we cannot live godlessly and sinfully and expect the power of God to be able to be noticed and worked out and used in our lives in other words let's put godless living what is godless living it's living as if God is not there it's living as if God's standards don't exist. That's a simple way of knowing it, right? It's living as if the word of God is not real. It is not true. There is no commandments. There is no 10 commandments. There's no right way of standard of living. Godless living is to live as if you're control of your life and that God isn't there. That you and I can do whatever we want to do and we can make whatever decision we want to make and, and ignorantly think that we are actually in control of what happens in our lives. Godless living can be to live a life of worry and anxiety instead of a life of surrender and faith. Godless living can be to live in depression instead of seeking out the joy of the Lord. Now you say there's medical. Yes, there is. And I tell people this all the time. You can be medically and clinically depressed and that be a, a literal physical issue in your life. However, that cannot be the excuse of why you're not trying to seek God and learn how to find joy and peace in the moment. I think too long we have let labels become excuses instead of the word of God become authority. And we, we step out and we say, okay, you know, I got the same people that sleep through every sermon and it makes me not want to preach, but God put a calling in my life and whether they want to act like it's ignorant and it's stupid, but the, I love this. I think God gave me this verse. It's through the foolishness of preaching. Thank God we can be stupid and he can still use us, right? Like, thank God we can be human and he can still use us. And so sometimes in church, I have to look at a back beam or a back wall and I have to remember in my life that I'm called by God and his Holy Spirit and not by the expression on somebody's face in the balcony do you understand it's like godless living says i don't want to preach anymore today because so and so doesn't like the way i preach that's godless godly living says i'm going to live today within the calling of god even if nobody else approves as long as i got the message of god and the method of god in the spirit of god i can't lose does that make sense all right, message is Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's the only way. Method is I love you and I'm not gonna beat you up with the word of God. I'm gonna set you free. All right, hey, hey the spirit says I, I follow God's guidance and not my emotions. All right, my emotions will get me in trouble. All right, easy, let's put it into one sentence. Godless living is living as if God does not exist or his word doesn't exist. As if God is not there. Sinful living, do we really have to define this? But it says sinful pleasures. 
I, and I'm going to tell you this. Um, I, I, I heard a message, and I can't remember who said it. He said, you know, there's one thing that's very true about everybody. Um, we are born sinful, and it doesn't take someone teaching us how to be. It is naturally there. Anybody agree with that? All right, like they gave this illustration, and I thought it was great. How many of you have ever been in Walmart, saw a kid lay down and kick and scream? Right? Maybe that was your kid. Maybe that was you as a kid. But at some point, you saw that happen, right? And so uh, understand this. Do you think that one day in Walmart, they learned that because mom and dad laid down in a section of Walmart and kicked and screamed? Or do you think they learned that because they're naturally simple? Naturally simple. Have you ever seen an adult lay down in Walmart and kick and scream? I don't know. You can probably see anything in Walmart. But the thing is, it's like, I've never witnessed that. It's not something I have to teach. I don't have to teach my kids to say no to me. They seem to pick that up on their own. I don't have to teach them to do this. Listen, it's called pleasure. Pleasure is not necessarily just a feeling. Pleasure is a desire. This is what I want to happen. And so the Bible says, look, if we're going to make a difference in this world as we're getting ready for Jesus to come, we've got to live godly and we've got to turn from sinful pleasure. I love the word turn there. I love the word run there. I love the word get away. It's don't reason with, don't try to figure it out. It's just get out. Johnny Hunt once said, Joseph lost his coat, but he never lost his character. All right. Sin presented itself and he left it behind and ran out the door. Listen to me. Understand this. Most of the time in church, when we talk about sinful pleasure, Everybody goes to sex and addiction. But rarely do we talk about, I really want to tell you what I know about somebody right now. I really want to say what I want to say right now, regardless of how it's going to affect the person, right? I really want to let you know how I feel about you right now, and I'm just going to tell it like it is. We don't think of those things, and we don't talk about those things. We don't talk about the, um, let's put, put it this way, the church doesn't talk about the inaction of the church to where we see needs and turn our backs. I mean, God did not put the Good Samaritan story in the Bible so that we would have this jolly story about a man who helped. He put the story in the Bible because it shows that the religious leaders in the church had no desire to help. It took somebody that nobody thought would help to actually help for the man to find healing. I mean, it's time for the church to not come in and say, hey, does anybody notice me? It's time for the church to come in with God goggles on noticing others. All right. And so we look at this and we say, hey, um, well, I, I, you know, I'm not this and I'm not that. Therefore, I'm not sinly. What about the sinful? What about the verse in the Bible where it says those that know to do good and do it not to them? It is what? Sin. So when God's calling you and pulling you and saying, I want you to be faithful to my house and you stay home for no reason, sin. When God's calling you to minister and serve and to do something for your community and you say no, sin. When you make it all about you and every dollar you have in your bank, you have a plan for sin. At some point of your life, you've got to get to the point where we say, God, in my life, help me to see that my life was gifted to me by you, purchased by your son and given to me to be a gift to other people. At some point, we got to know that we talk about sin as in the actions you do. But at some point, the church has to start seeing what we're not doing, what we're not actually accomplishing. Does that make sense? You got it? Say got it. All right. You want a successful life? Number one, let's not get into the things you can do without doing the things need to be done. It's like this. The Bible says if you have an offering, but you have a disagreement with your brother at the church and you're at the altar and you're about to give your offering, lay your offering down, forget it. Go make things right with your brother. Where did that go in the church? I'm tired of hearing so-and-so left and so-and-so did. Why? Well, well, why didn't they come to me? Because, no, 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 they're not godly. They're not godly. They're not godly. The Bible says if you have a disagreement with somebody, here it is, church, lean in. Go to them. There is no way. If anybody comes to you with a list of 10 reasons why they left the avenue, why they left Piedmont, why they left this, why they left Grace, it is wrong, wrong, wrong if they've not gone to their person. And we say, well, that's, that's hard. Well, listen, if Christians learned how to deal with their problems, Christians wouldn't be the problems that they are. Does that make sense? How many of you agree that we live in a world that doesn't know how to resolve conflict? I mean, literally, I, I read an article the other day of a guy that got out of his car with a gun pointed at a, a, a motorcycle because the motorcycle cut him off in traffic. And didn't really, the guy so in his rage didn't realize a state trooper was right behind him. That's a bad day. You know, here's the thing. Why can't we get to a place to where we can have civilized conversations about this is what's bothering me today? You know, I, I, I've once said this. I'll say it again. It made people mad. Let's make them mad again. 
If we would talk about Jesus as much as we talk about other believers, the world would be saved and we'd be better. I mean, that's the truth. And so understand that we got to say, if we're going to rally around the throne of God, we've got to live like the family of God first. All right, understand this. You cannot be right with God tearing down others. You cannot be right with God in iniquity. Iniquity is God has said this is wrong. I know he said it's wrong. I transgressed, meaning I broke that once and did it anyway. Iniquity is when I'm taking a transgression. I know it's wrong. I'm doing it anyway, but now I'm making it a lifestyle. It's on repeat. Does that make sense? That's iniquity. You know what the Bible says? He's removed your iniquities. I love that he used that word. He removed the behaviors. He removed the addiction. He removed the mindset. He removed the attitude. He removed the belief system. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die to change your mind. He died to rescue it. He died to change a whole belief system. What a thankful thing. What a grateful thing. Then number two, here's what it says. Not only do we need to turn active from godless living and sinful pleasures, it says we need to live with Wisdom, right? Like it, it, it goes on and, and, and wisdom, if you're looking in the King James here, you know what the word is? Sober. All right, so write this down. Wisdom is a, 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 a truth or an understanding. It, it, it's something that we can only get from God. It is God's way of thinking. All right, so wisdom is God's way of thinking. There's knowledge, you can get that from anywhere, but wisdom you can only get from the things of God. All right, and so when he's saying live soberly, what it's saying is to live with nothing else in control of your mind. All right, wisdom means God has total control of the thought process. It doesn't mean you're a perfect thinker. It just means you surrender bad thoughts. All right, now, that, how many of you have heard this verse? Take every thought captive. How many of you have heard that? But you know what the next part of that verse says? And bring it to obedience. All right, and that, now that, that's the phase we don't really preach on. It's like, take your thoughts captive. All right, okay, how many of you have ever sat there and say, I don't want to think this, I don't want to think this, I don't want to think this? How many of you have ever been praying about something and, and somehow forget you're praying and now you're trying to figure out what you're praying about? Anybody else know this? You're sitting there on your, on your knees and you're just like, hey, God, please help me. I need to figure out this business decision. I want to make the right decision. I want to do what you want me to do and I want to follow you. Okay, maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that. And you forget you're praying altogether. You know, have you ever thought that, I've noticed that there's spiritual warfare in your prayer life because Satan wants your attention most when you're taking it to God. And so he's coming after you and he's trying to bring you back. And so wisdom says, okay, I'm going to be sober. Sober can only happen when something's in control. You know, you lose your sobriety uh, when, when some substance comes in and, and can affect the way you think, all right? That's why we have DUIs, right? Driving under the influence, which isn't just drinking. It can be drugs and, and it can even be your legal medication. How many of you have ever had that doctor prescription that says don't drive after taking this, right? Like one of the side effects is dizziness. One of the side effects is loss of alertness and all these things. And even though it's legally prescribed, you can still get in trouble for it. Am I right or wrong? If it's taking and hindering your ability to process. If you got that, say got it. You know what God's saying is, hey, you need to live with wisdom. Wisdom saying I'm giving God total control. I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not under the influence of what Johnny or Becky said to me at work Monday morning. I'm under the influence of God's truth and not under the influence of Fox News or CNN. I'm under the influence of who God is and not under the influence of a election. All right, I'm going to do what God leads me to do. I'll vote my morals and my standards. I'll stand on the truths of God. I'll find the candidates that look like God, sound like God, act like God. And people say, well, Washington's totally corrupt. Get that mindset out and believe that God raises kings and lowers them and that God can control things. And I'm gonna pray towards who God is and what God is, what God's doing. And I'm gonna let those things dictate my mind. And even when it doesn't make sense to obey Christ, I'm going to obey anyway. That's living wisely. It's saying, okay, God, you've got control of the thought process. I'm just going to fall in line. I mean, if we really realized how simple it is to live life when God is in control, all of us would be surrendering. I mean, we are the ones that bring in the stress, anxiety, worry in this, right? We're the ones that allow that to come. And when Jesus had stress and anxiety invade his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, where did he go? To his knees. And he went to God, not my will, yours be done. Let's do this. Let's get this. 
And so I, I don't know about you, but I get convicted even speaking this because a lot of times when I get in a spiral, anybody ever spiral in their mind? When I get in a spiral, I'm calling everybody to get advice where sometimes maybe I just need to pull over and say, God, I need a minute. I need to talk. And I need to invoke Philippians 4 where it says, hey, pray. Always be praying and tell God exactly what you need. Yeah, that's how I get the whole part of Philippians 4 where it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, how many of you today, and don't raise your hand, would be honest and say, my prayer life really isn't where it needs to be. My wisdom and my sober thinking is really not where it needs to be. So the first thing I do is I get my life right. The second thing I do is I say, God, my mind is messed up. So will you invade it today? By the way, God cannot invade your mind with what you're not willing to put in. And I tell people all the time, when I read the word of God, sometimes I don't even know what I'm getting out of it. But what I am doing is putting scripture into the arsenal of my heart so that when Satan needs to come and attack me like he feels like he needs to do, the Holy Spirit has a, a, a safe that he can run to, an arsenal that he can run to and say, you remember this Psalm? You remember this proverb? You remember what Jesus said to his disciples on the mountain? You remember Jesus walking on the water, bro? Here it is. And I, I tell you this right now, I believe we are losing the battle in the war of our mind because the arsenal of our minds and hearts are empty and we need to load it up with the word of God. That's why in the Old Testament, he would say this through his prophets all the time. Write it on your mind, write it in your heart, describe it on your mind, inscribe it in your heart. In other words, put it in there. You're going to need it. You can't live wisely without knowing what God has said. And so I'll tell you this right now, the most important part of your life is the word of God. And if it's not being used, then there is a good chance today, this week, you're gonna come up against something you're not gonna know what to do. And yes, will God move in miracles and will God move in wonders? Yes, but you know what God would rather move in? Your faithfulness. I mean, listen, was it a miracle for Jesus or was it just natural to be able to do those things? That's the thing that I, I was thinking the other day in my devotions. I'm gonna take you into a little brain closet of mine and say, wait a minute, I look at it and we call it miracle. Jesus just did it as if this is what was supposed to be done. In our lives, I think this, I, I think the church is praying for miracles and when God moves naturally, we think it's miraculously because we don't, miraculously because we don't live in a faith walk that sees God do things on a consistent basis. And so I don't, I don't know. I, I started praying this this week. God, help me to not see it as a miracle, but just to see it as this is who you are. This is what you do. I don't need a miracle today. I need you. I, I, don't, I don't need something supernatural. I just need your word because it never fails. Walking in wisely, soberly. Then it goes on. After I got wisdom, after I've got right, I'm, I'm invoking the wisdom of God, get him in control of my life. Then it's possible for me to live righteously. Righteousness is write it down, just doing the right thing. I mean, it's actually carrying out the right thing that God has put into your life. I mean, how many of you would be honest, and I'll do this, in, in business and outside of church and in and, and, and my, my other job, I have to war sometimes, and you would like to think it comes natural to be good, but I have to war sometimes about doing the right thing or what, and doing what's right for me. How many of you say yes? You, you come against those things, yes. Sometimes it's like, okay, What's the right thing to say to this client right now about what they're asking? I could easily look and say, oh, that's minor. Those are easy things. You can fix those. I don't know their capabilities. I don't know their financial standing, and I don't know what's too big for them. Repairing a GFI plug in the kitchen might be something that I can go to Walmart and get today, but it could be something that makes it unaffordable for them to pay their first month of, of, of bills. And we look at it, and we, we say, what's right for me is I want to get a paycheck. Anybody else in here say, yes, I want to get a paycheck? But sometimes doing what's right for you isn't doing what's right. And we have got to understand righteousness says, I know the word of God and the word of God tells me that everything I do should be as if I'm doing it to the Lord. And so therefore, I shouldn't try to hide a GFI plug. Are you with me? And therefore, I should point out, you know, I, I should say, hey, you need to get somebody to look at this. Hey, this is not normal. You know, the, the other day I was walking through with a client and they were in love with the furniture in the house. And, and, and I, I, I was sitting there and as they, were, they were like, we love this house, we love this house, we love this house. But the only thing they would talk about in the house was the furniture. 
And, and I, I had to, I stepped up. I knew they were gonna, well, let's make an offer. And right before they got there, I stepped up and I said, y'all do realize the furniture in this house is not gonna be yours and it will not look the same when the furniture's gone. You need to look as if the furniture's not here. Do you see the crack going from floor to ceiling in the living room with stair steps and it's not a block wall? That matters and that furniture that's hiding it now is not gonna be there. There's a structure thing that you need somebody to look at. Get your eyes off of the things that look good and start actually asking yourself, is this the right one? You say, well, that's bad advice. No, that's the advice we should give. I think at some point we need to grab our teenagers and say, hey, bro, I know you think she looks good, but is she the right one? Where's her foundational beliefs? Does she have cracks in her belief system? Does he have cracks in his belief system? Because if they don't have solid foundation, your relationship will fall apart. At some point, we got to grab them and say, I'm not trying to tear it down, but do they know Jesus Christ? Well, I don't know. Then how long have y'all been dating? Six months. Wait a minute. We are on the wrong foot. You know, like, hey, well, you know, they, they only pushed me once. Okay, wait, let's stop. Let's back up. Let's have a conversation. Uh, when you put a ring on the finger, that push gets worse. Right? Like, let's talk. Now, can they change? Yes. But you cannot save them. You are not Jesus. And you should not be missionary dating. Saying that maybe I can change their lives because what's going to happen is you're going to get pulled down, pulled down, pulled down, pulled down, and eventually they'll get you down far enough they can stomp on you. And we're not just talking physically, we're talking emotionally and mentally. How many of you have been there and say, yes, it's true. You can get abused very easily by ignoring things. Say yes, come on. They need to hear you. Yes. The reality is we got to get to a point in our lives where we say, hey, once I've been made right and I've got the word of God in my life, now I got to do the right thing, even if the right thing may cost me, even if the right thing may, may make me an, a, an outcast in a situation, even if the right thing means I need to walk away from the group because they're telling some jokes I don't need to be a part of, even if the right thing is saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I don't need to go and follow everybody on social media. All right, even the right thing might be that you have a problem with certain weaknesses in your life and maybe you don't even need social media, right? And so we, we go and say, it might not be the convenient thing, but it's the right thing. We need a church of believers that's gonna do the right thing because I'm gonna tell you this now. The more and more the Antichrist comes into visible being, the Spirit's been there for all times. It's been developing and I hate to say this, and I'm not going to get into a, a political stance. This message will get buried on Facebook for what I'm about to say because of algorithms, and it's true. But when any political figure can sit on national TV and say, people that follow this person should be professionally reprogrammed, you need to wake up as believers. You need to realize what they're saying is, if you disagree, get ready. Eight years ago, nine years ago, 80,000 guillotines purchased in the United States of America. Offshore camps set up. These things are not lies. They are being made for us. And at some point in history, we will come face to face with an antichrist that declares himself the Messiah, requires the mark of the beast to buy, sell, and trade. Kind of sounds like you got to have this to be able to go anywhere. All these things are practiced and setting up for where we're heading in life. And we need believers that decide today that no matter what's ahead of me I'm going to do what's right because the Bible says if we take a mark of the beast we'll believe a lie my family and I will die hungry before I'll let my children go to hell because we followed a politic belief instead of following the word of God you say well that's me that's think he's abusive he's this no I want to stand before the throne of God one day celebrate my king and worship my savior knowing that I stood on the truth of God and then the things that were difficult did what was right I'm telling you now we're raising a generation of believers that when somebody tries to say what's right and do what's right they get attacked but the end is coming to this world but not to your soul. And your soul matters more than a packed out auditorium on a Sunday morning. Your soul matters more than streaming and trending on social media because we, we did the thing that everybody liked. I'm telling you now, read the word of God. There's no accident that the last book is called Revelations because God is giving us a glimpse of what is coming. And here's the good news. Beyond what is coming on this earth, our Lord and Savior is coming too. He's going to take us home. But until then, we got work to do. 
And I, I will say this, and I, I train agents this way. We're, we're training staff, and we're, we're wanting people to understand this. You'll never do what's right in a hard season if you didn't do what was right in an easy season. Just do what's right. You know, like, hey, there's no such thing as a little hit. There's no such thing as a little drink when it comes to your addictions. There's no such things as a, a little glance and a second glance. There's no such thing. There is a no policy. Got a zero tolerance policy. Wherever I see Satan, we run. We fight. You know, I've heard in Ephesians 6 preached a lot. In Ephesians 6, um, we talked about this. Uh, Libby and I got in a deep conversation about it on Monday morning, I think it was. And, and I've been emphasizing it throughout. Ready? Listen, here it is. My son just saw his mama. All right. Favorite person in the world just came into the room and that's how you should respond. I, I, you know, and can I just pause? I know it's my son. I wish it was somebody else's, but that's how we should be when we know Jesus is in the room, right? Like, like just get me to him and I ain't going to be happy where I'm at, right? Like that is that kid and his mama. But understand this, the Bible, I've heard this preached in Ephesians 6 and it says sometimes you just get armored up and you don't know what to do and you just stand. How many of you have heard that? That ain't how the Bible reads. If you go read Ephesians chapter number six, the wording's all off. And, and I've heard it. I've even preached it, proclaim it, and have to repent of it right now in Jesus' name. The Bible doesn't say just put on the armor of God and stand. It says put on the armor of God so that you can resist. And, and, and then it says, and after you have done everything. In other words, after you have raged war on what Satan's trying to do. I, I, I tell you this right now. In the love and in the name of Jesus Christ, I would love for a church in the American United States or all over the world to unite on the fact that we're we're actually going to rage war on Satan instead of standing armored up doing nothing. And the Bible says, and after you've done everything, you will be what? Standing. In other words, you know what it's talking about there? And it, it, this is just my, my, my devotions lately has really brought it to me and saying that when I armor up with the things that God has told me to put on, it's because I'm going to war. And we're going to rescue somebody and we're going to defend people and we're going to stand in the name of Jesus Christ. And when I've done everything that I can possibly do, I can be confident still standing in what has been done. And when I look at the Bible that way, it means that this, it's this, this, this lowly, take a backseat, keep your mouth shut, be politically correct and, and, and don't make anybody offended or don't make anybody mad. Christianity has got to change. We still got to preach the hard things. We get to still have hard conversations. We still got to tell our testimonies and our stories. We can't hide our imperfections. They're hidden in Jesus Christ. But let's set somebody free today in Jesus' name because we were bold. We were willing to wage war on the lies that the enemy's trying to do in the lives of other people. We were willing to stand and say, hey, look, this is what God says is right. Let's get salvation on our head, truth on our, let's get faith, let's get this thing, let's go armor up, get peace on your feet, and let's go do the things that God has told us to do. Let's go war, doing what's right. Look at the next thing in this. It says, hey, wisdom, righteousness. And here it is, what? A devotion to God. You know what this means? That God has to be the underlining reason of why we do everything we do. Like, I don't do it for you, and I don't do it for a community. I do it for the Lord, knowing that as I hug somebody today, I'm hugging them in the name of Jesus Christ. As I'm loving them today, I'm ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. As we're preaching today, we're ministering under the authority of God as an ambassador of heaven. As we're going into our children's classes, we're pouring into them by, as people that have been called and raised up in, by the name of Jesus to, to do the work that needs to be done so our children can have great foundations to build on. I'm devoted. Devoted means that everything I do is for this purpose. Please write that down. Devoted means everything I do is for this purpose. I mean, um, I'll be honest with you, it's a whole lot easier to call in sick when I was single than now that I have a wife and three kids. It was a whole lot easier to, to just throw away money and go buy whatever I wanted when I was single than now that I have a family. Part of the things, I, do I have wants that I want to materially buy? Yes. Anybody else in here say yes to that? Like, yes, you do. But how many of you have wants that you know you cannot have and cannot take because there's other things that need to matter more? Right? And by the way, when we live like that, we can live in financial freedom. When we're always purchasing our wants, we will never provide our needs. Dave Ramsey, all right, right? Like we will never do those things. Like we'll always be chasing our needs if we're always getting our wants. All right, now understand this. Like 
There are times that people say, hey, do you want to go out to eat? That we have to say no because we know we have a light bill. All right, are you with me? You know what that is? Devotion to the cause. Matter of fact, let's put this in a financial state. You should pay your bills first with your money. Actually, stop, take back. You should give to God what God deserves. Pay your bills and then figure out where you can have fun. And then figure out what you can do. Devotion says, I made an obligation to pay my bills. Therefore, I will. That's devoted. Non-devoted says, well, my landlord's terrible. Why are they terrible? Because they expect you to actually do what you said you were going to do. Right? So I know that's a financial thing, but let's talk about spiritually. Devoted to God says, I'm going to do this because he deserves it. Because he bankrupt heaven to purchase my life. And my God deserves better than I could ever give him. More than I could ever give him. But I am thankful that God is grateful for what I do give and does not reward based on who I am, but instead bases his rewards on his devotion to us. Now let's put this, let's ask this question. If we were as devoted to God as he is to us, would life be different? But imagine if God was as devoted to you as you are to him. How scary life would be. And the thing is, is at some point of our life, we need to raise a generation that says, I'm in this for Jesus. I'm in it for Jesus. I promise you, if we were devoted to him, we'd be less offendable. We, we would be more determined. And we would see more results. Let's close. We do all four of these things. And the very last thing that we're going to look at today in this is saying this. While, verse number 13, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary. I'll be honest with you here lately. If I try to correct anybody's behavior, I get totally attacked for it. Parents will attack me for trying to help their kids. Kids will attack me for trying to help their siblings. We live in a generation, and I I told my wife, it's very difficult to be a pastor in today's life because people want you to keep your mouth shut and fall into their line instead of being the person that says, this is the authority God's given me. You can't do that. This is the authority the word has invoked. You can't live that way. And we live in a world where people say, hey, you do not have a right. And the Bible says that, hey, listen, as believers, we should be correcting, not abusing, correcting people and the way that they should live when necessary. So don't let anyone disregard what you say. Church, I'm going to tell you this. This is a powerful moment for you. Because in four simple thoughts, four simple actions, with one expectation, we could change our lives and the lives of those around us. The actions are simple. Turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Live with wisdom. Let God have control. Do the righteous thing. Be righteous and how do the right thing. Hey, number four, devote yourself to God. With what expectation? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. How many of you have ever gone to lunch on a Monday and came back from lunch May, might be because of what we ate or how we, what time we went to bed Sunday. That could be the effect. But how many of us came back from lunch and we were like, oh my goodness, there's still five hours left in the day. How many of you have ever had that feeling, right? But what keeps you going? What keeps you moving? Like five o'clock is coming. Now, I know some of you are sitting here saying, I don't have the eight to five. The shift is gonna end. At some point, you're, you're gonna clock out. You're gonna be able to go home. This day is going to end. Sometimes the day itself doesn't have the fuel in it to get you to the end, but the thought that it can end and will end keeps you going. Anybody say yes to that? This is going to end. Have you ever watched the sport game where one team is just getting annihilated? And you can almost see it in the losing team's face that they are just watching the clock and trying to get it down. Even the coaches on the losing team will change their agenda. Have you ever seen a team down by 30 running the ball every play? You know why? They want the game to be over. 
They're playing for a buzzer. They're playing for an end. But have you ever seen the team that's down by 30, that's playing as if, no matter what the distance of score, they're playing to win at the end of the buzzer. They're not in it to lose. Even if defeated, even if down, they have a motivation. They have something to do. They have something to go. My brother-in-law texted me last night and said, this Georgia Tech game, wow. And I was like, I didn't watch it. So he sent me this thing and I, I watched it as, as a team. Miami ran a ball where they should have taken a knee, fumbled the ball. Georgia Tech falls on the ball. And when the game should be over with 26 seconds left on the clock, they play defense as if they still have a chance, recover a fumble and win on a last second throw. You say football has nothing to do with it. I'm telling you this now. I wish we had the same energy in church that we have in Neyland. And I, I wish that we had the same energy in church on the battlefields and the wars that we we're fighting to rescue addicts, deliver families, restore hopes and dreams, restore life back to the broken. I wish that we had the tenacity that we see people play with on the courts that we will pay high dollar to pay. I tell people all the time, you don't have to look for the God of America. You just look where they spend the most money and that is what they worship. And they can go to Neyland and pay $150 for no please second. But you better not hand them an offering plate. You better not ask him and preach on tithing. You know why? We're serving a wrong God. But I love it when a team does not believe they're done until the buzzer sounds. And we need some believers that may say, this world is hard. It's difficult. I lose more than I win. I get it wrong more than I get it right. But a trumpet's going to sound and I'm going to play to the buzzer. And I'm going to believe that God is coming back. And I'm not going to stop short of what God can do in my life and the life of people I love. I'm not going to stop short of preaching every time we have a chance and pouring our hearts out to see one more person maybe believe in God a little bit deeper or give their heart to God for the first time. Hey, my Savior is coming. For two years, I've tried to get a hold of my dad time and time again, and I don't want to shame him. He is elderly now, doesn't have access to a phone, and it almost is, and I don't know if I should say this publicly, but it seems after this weekend's events that it looks like he might be in an abusive situation, and I never thought I would say that about my dad, who was my biggest abuser. And every, every Father's Day, every, every birthday, I call him this, this month, this past month was his birthday, I call him. I'll call my mom, I'll call my brothers. Does anybody talk to her dad? There's been moments in my life, even as an adult, that I've wanted him to show up, to be there because of what's taken place in our lives. How many of you have felt this with a family member? Slip your hand up. You know what I'm talking about. Can I give you a promise in what God gave me the other day? Hey, one day your daddy, maybe not your earthly daddy, maybe, maybe not the person that should have showed up and took you to the ball game, maybe not the person that should have showed up for your ball game, maybe not the person that was on the earth that should have been these things, but one day there's a God that's going to stand up from his throne and say, go get them, bring them. Go come home. And so I don't have to sit on the front porch and why I wonder why a car's not coming by to pick me up that should be there. I don't have to sit on a curb outside a gym and wonder why they didn't show. There's going to be a day that the eastern side's going to split and our God is going to return. Hey, I don't need to live my life as to why is this happening to me. I need and you need to live your life with this expectation. I'm going to live right, do right, get clean, do the things of God, build my life on the word of God, be devoted to God. Why? Because I have an expectation that my daddy's coming to pick me up one day it's gonna end well it's gonna end well and at some point of our lives we got to understand that you're not living for the day you're living through this day to get closer to the day that Jesus will return it may be hard you may be down you may be out keep playing keep fighting armor up and go get it again do the right thing, knowing that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. My prayers are for you. The misfits of Jeffersonson County, some of us, right? Yeah. The church that, have you heard what happened there? That I walk into and I see this resilience of family. I see some of you doing things. Just making the lives better for other people, sacrificing of yourself. I hear these rumors of some of you that are just inviting people on your vacations. Taking them to your house and, hey, we're going to have a cookout. We want you there. 
getting phone calls of, hey, what do the guys need at the house? We have all this stuff. I got told this week of somebody who had to come to our food pantry to get groceries because they could not afford them that three days later showed back up with a $1,000 check to help the ministry. I say, why is this? I thought, you know what? You know what I believe is maybe there's more than one leper out there that when Jesus heals their life is going to return to him and say, thank you. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be one that runs away totally clean and been given this gift of a new chance in life, a restored marriage and a home, a son that shouldn't even exist, living in a family that I shouldn't be a part of. I don't want to be the one that gets that and runs away from God. I want to be the one that comes back and says, thank you, Jesus, because I don't deserve what I have, but you've given it to me anyway. So today, guess what? I will get up and get clean. I'll take my shower in your word. I will bit your wisdom and your mind and your goggles on. I will be devoted to you and I will just do the right thing because I know Jesus is coming and I'm thankful that my forever is It's not today, but it could be in a moment when a trumpet sounds the last day I ever live. And I am looking forward. Anybody else looking forward to the last day you'll ever live? Because the Bible says there, there is no darkness. There is no night. There is no end. We're going to start the last day of forever. Isn't that going to be awesome? And it's never going to end. When I go on vacation, there's two things I hate to do. Load the car. And that's both things. I hate loading it on the way to leave. I hate loading it on the way back. Any amens to that? On the way to leave, it's we got too much stuff. On the way back, it's why do we have to go back? I'm thankful one day we go to heaven and we don't have to pack bags. We get there and it's the day that never ends. Let me encourage you with these words. Live right, not because you're going to get results today. But God has written results in his word. It'll pay out on earth, but it'll store up in heaven. Church, let's get right. Jesus is coming. And I don't know about you, but I get a little bit excited that thinking this thought, it could be while we're alive. How cool would that be? The Bible says nobody knows the time. I'm not going to stand here and say it will be. But the Bible also says there's a reward for those that are just watching. Now, that doesn't mean watching, standing, looking at the eastern sky and doing nothing. Even while the disciples were watching, the angels told them they had to go. You got to go share the gospel. You know how I know if you're watching for Jesus to come? Because you're watching for the next soul that you can witness to. You know how we know you're watching for Jesus come? Because you're watching for the next opportunity you can serve the Lord with gladness. You know how we know if you're watching for Jesus to come, you're looking for the next family you can be a blessing to, the next person that you can encourage, the next person you can keep going. You're looking for what you can do with what you have to bring others into a closer relationship with him. It is based on what you do. Watch what you do because it definitely shows what you're watching for. I don't want to raise a church that spiritually, metaphorically speaking, is sitting on a couch with a bunch of potato potato chips and Diet Coke When Jesus returns, I want to see and be a part of a group that might be knocking on the very last door that God is wanting to get the gospel to. Wouldn't it be awesome to say, do you want Jesus Christ as your Savior? They say yes, and God says, that was it. I was waiting on that one. Let's go. Missions and methods and all things in place with the message of Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Now, how many of you today carry great discouragement in your life? Anybody saying, hey, discouragement, challenges, difficulties. Would you slip your hand up? How many of you got that today? You got some things that are fighting. All right. This, this message is for you in the sense of God is saying, hey, look to that east sky. Get, get this in your mind that, 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 that this is not your end, that this worst day that you'll ever experience on earth is the only hell you'll ever have to experience. It's the worst day of hell you'll ever have for the believer. Jesus is coming to make all things right. Please keep believing, keep fighting, keep going. God has something better for you. And if you never get it here on earth, you will get it in heaven. Just know it, believe it, and live as if it's true. How many of you here today would be with me and say, hey, you know what? I need a little bit more wisdom, which means I need a little bit more of God's way of thinking implanted in my heart, my mind. My walk with Christ, my personal walk with Christ needs to be strengthened, Pastor Josh. I'm raising my hand on this one, by the way. Would you pray for me? I'll pray with you that I become devoted to God like never before. Anybody like that? Slip your hand up and say, more of him, more of him. Amen. Wow. God, help us. If that is true, if this many people in one service can get devoted to God, wow, what a difference it can make. What about the ones that say, hey, Pastor Josh, we 
would you pray? I got some difficult decisions and I really just need to do the right thing. But I'm going to be honest, I'm at a war with myself. Those are some of the decisions I need to make. Would you slip your hand up today? I want to pray for those. I'm at a war with some of the decisions I need to make. Okay, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Does anybody else in here maybe need this? Holy Spirit, remind me daily that what I live for is you and how I live. Strength and energy I have is through you and because of you. So help me to live as if today is the day God has made, not the day that I have to make. Let me rejoice and be glad in the goodness of God, not in the rewards of my accomplishments. Help me to see your kingdom come and your will be done today on earth as it is in heaven. And today, God, as I eat the bread that you have given me from your word, help me to be a forgiver. Help me to be someone who looks with compassion on others. Help me to rescue one as brands from the burning as we wait anxiously and excitedly for the return of Jesus Christ. I want to be found faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. Stay in and grab somebody's hand. We love you, church. I pray today that you'll take some encouragement and some strength, some motivation. I pray today that your devotional life will take a step in the right direction. Don't think you got all the gods you need today because you went to church. Find some time today to get into the word of God, right? I don't know about you. Sometimes I go on Sunday with my devotions. Anybody else get like this and be like, well, I went to church. I got a sermon. I got this. And, and God spoke to me. And so I'll pick up my devotions tomorrow. Anybody else? I do that. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this right now. In six hours, I'm going to need Jesus just as much as I needed him this morning, right? Uh, and probably more because I'm going to get in the way a lot today. And, and I need God to guide me. Hey, take the word of God seriously. Live through it and watch it radically change your lives and relationships. All right, let's raise a faith, a group of believers that so believes in what God says that no matter what comes our way, we stand firm, do the right thing with eyes on heaven, knowing one day we're going. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Derek, would you come close us in prayer? Can we do that? Derek teaches in our children's ministry and is a favorite amongst the kids. Now, I don't mean that. There's a many, many of them. I know I heard Jake's name today and other people's name, but, but I, I'm going to tell you something, and I know we have a lot of good ones sitting in the, I look around the room, Ashley, and I'm, I'm going to forget them if I start calling names. Y'all do an incredible job. But, but the one thing I love about this man right here and his wife right there is they love these kids, and they're excited to be with these kids. And so I, I don't know if you've got a chance to meet Derek, but um, Derek has, our relationship's come a long way, hasn't it, man? And, and I'm, I'm thankful. There's, there's a blessing in my life that I get every time I see this man and his wife. And uh, when they were sick for a month, we were like, somebody find them. You know, like, where are they at? Literally, but I, I want you to close us in prayer. Is that okay? All right, after he's done, don't forget, we got Trunk or Treat coming up and other things outside. Libby's out there. She'll point you to the right direction. It's a little bit colder today, so I know you'll be moving quick, but try to swing by there and see if you can get involved in something, all right? Close us out, buddy. I love you. Father God, we, we thank you for your word, uh, especially the part about bread. Uh, I know that we consume your word in ourselves, and it'll be the only thing that remains. Just help us to be mindful of that this week that everything we have comes from you, not by our hands, not by our works and deeds. And uh, please watch over and protect us as we do go through this week and bring us all home safely with you when you come and each day as we go out. Thank you for your mercy and your patience and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.